Welcome back again. This is Herb Garrison, and we're doing a series of podcasts on wellness, and especially as it relates to the healthcare professional and physicians. I'm a professor of emergency medicine and the associate dean for graduate medical education at the Brady School of Medicine at East Carolina University and the designated institutional official for Vitant Health uh, for graduate medical education. My guest today is Dr. Mike Lang. Dr. Lang is the program director for the, our internal medicine and psychiatry residency, clinical associate professor and vice chair of the Department of Psychiatry and Behavioral Medicine and chief of behavioral health at Vitant Medical Center. I want to also point out that neither of us have any financial disclosures related to this podcast, which is, helps that we're going to get you some CME. And I want to thank uh, my colleagues who are here helping us get this done, Alan Brannigan and Mildred Carraway from Eastern AHEC, and Kelly Whitehurst and Allison Riddick from the Office of GME at Vitant Medical Center in the Brady School of Medicine. Mike, we have sort of a somber topic today. We do indeed. Suicide and substance abuse in healthcare professionals. Yes. Uh, you know, there's the saying, physician, heal thyself. And this is where it's the most important thing. And, and every and any suicide is just a tragedy, but I think especially so in a physician. Yeah. And we both know where that's happened and just how tragic Truly. it can be. What does our literature tell us about uh, substance abuse <clears throat> and suicide in healthcare professionals? Something I had referenced in the last podcast, Dr. Garrison, was the Medscape Physician Burnout and Suicide Report. The last data that we have was from 2020, and it was arguably the most alarming report that they had ever published. 23% of our physicians at that point had reported suicidal ideation. This was equal amongst men and women, and about 1% to 2% of them had actually committed suicide. It was successful. We currently know somewhere between 300 to 400 physicians across medical specialties take their lives successfully per year, which puts it a little bit over one per day. This is even though all-cause mortality for physicians is below the general population. Why is that? Physicians, as a general rule, do take their own advice pretty well. They exercise. The majority of them will avoid the smoking and the alcohol. They take their medications. They do a decent job of taking care of their physical health. However, they lack the emotional and the social cultivation, and that is where not paying attention to every aspect of your emotional and overall well-being will take its toll. Physicians often not go to see their own primary care providers to get an objective physical exam and an assessment of how they're doing. They ignore their emotional and their mental health to a massive degree. Professional, institutional, and societal expectations will weigh heavily on doctors. We also know, and this is quite interesting, suicide risk assessments differ for physicians versus the general population. When it comes to the medical profession, and I found this quite shocking, women have a higher risk of suicidal ideation and attempts than men. Male physicians, the risk is about one to one and a half times the general population, but for women, it is two to four times the general population. You compare it to the general population, higher risk physicians are younger, but not extremely young. So typically, it's not the new grads fresh out of residency. It's the early career physician in their first five years of practice. They are single. They tend to be isolated, which, as I had mentioned in the last podcast, is the most common maladaptive coping strategy physicians resort to. They use medication as a lethal means, given that they have access and ability. Some will fraudulently prescribe to themselves, or they will hoard medication, or they will steal it from the clinic or the hospital. 
There is a significant degree of depression and anxiety, overall untreated or maladaptively treated with alcohol. Physicians are much less likely, the general population, to be on antidepressant therapy or in psychotherapy, given the same degree of depressive severity as the general population. Professional issues are their biggest reasons, and especially lack of career satisfaction or perceived meaningfulness. Repeated statement in the survey was, I am just a cog in a wheel, and I don't matter. So we've, we've linked substance abuse and suicide. Is, is there... Is it just a correlation? Is there a cause and effect relationship? How, how do the two go together? I know you think and have to think about that every day in your role as a psychiatrist, but when it comes to clinicians, how do they connect? I will tell you that there is a massive amount of research going into this question, and it has not been firmly elucidated as of yet. If you look at the Medscape survey, it varies, and that is what makes it very, very surprising. We do know that it tends to accrue slowly over time. The survey showed across generations from millennials to baby boomers, burnout, depression, and suicidal ideation was overall equal within one percentage point of each other. However, the degree that it would impact one's life got worse as you went from millennial to Gen X to baby boomer. The issues would wax and wane based on other stressors. So would you just get a promotion or is your marriage now in trouble? Those sorts of things, you know, stressors come and go. It sometimes rains on everybody now and then. But... We learned that it starts in medical school when people are exposed to the hidden curriculum in their first clinical years. We have known of this for quite some time, many decades actually, and it is a subconscious modeling of behavior that gets passed down, just like physical exam techniques and factual knowledge. Self-sacrifice, all in service to the patient and the profession, which we have held up as one of our key signs, actually can be detrimental over time. Emotional suppression, deadlines, the progress notes, the phone calls, lab checks, the committee meetings, the research papers, all those responsibilities. There are consequences if these goals are not met, especially when you're in training or you're an early career physician and you're trying to get yourself going. Loss of productivity bonuses, failure to achieve tenure, all those sorts of things will weigh on a physician. Once you go into independent practice, fatigue starts to set in. Irregular shifts, excessively long shifts, longer days working without a break, administrative tasks and charting that occur after the shift is done. Once fatigue comes on, stress and the corresponding lack of emotional, spiritual, and physical rejuvenation, you get burnout. And then burnout over time leads to the depression and the anxiety, and then that leads to the aberrant behavior. And that's often when it comes to the attention of somebody else. That's when the supervising physicians or their colleagues start to see it. But what we now realize is there's been a whole lot of trouble that's been cultivating before you finally see a chart get thrown in the middle of the ward. So what you just said implies that the environment is a huge part of what would uh, make someone suicidal or abuse substances they shouldn't be using. How come not everybody is suicidal or, or using substances that work in healthcare? Well... There is a huge belief that it might be getting a little bit minimized and that not every physician is revealing. Medscape had shown that, you know, 9 to 20 percent of physicians will prefer not to answer certain questions. Mm -hmm. And so the data is probably higher than we realize, but some physicians are luckier than others. They have supportive spouses at home. They have kids that they can come home to. They have hobbies. They have ways of rejuvenating themselves to keep this from getting off track and, and weighing them down. And so... 
what we have to do as physicians, in all honesty, is be each other's keeper. So that's a good point for me to take off on. What I've got a colleague who I'm worried about. Mm -hmm. uh, they've sort of they're showing up late. Mm -hmm. They seem to be depressed. Mm -hmm. uh, they've implied to someone they they might not want to live forever. Okay. I'm, I'm worried about them. What 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 do we do in that circumstance? Well, the first thing that I would suggest, being a colleague who knows this person, is approach. If you've got a worry, sometimes highlighting this can be all that's really needed. A lot of times physicians, just like people in the public, will have a blind eye actually to how they're doing and how they're feeling. They're working hard, they've got all these stressors, they're trying to juggle multiple responsibilities at work and at home, and they sometimes might not see it. And so I'll often point out, how are you doing? And the tone of voice can often tell a lot. And I often say to people, everything is in how you do it. So I would say, pull them to a private area. I see you're struggling a little bit. What's going on? And give them some time to talk. It may come out or they may get defensive. You never know. So you have to be prepared for either eventuality. But where you want to try to get to is, are we dealing with burnout? Are we dealing with just stress? Are we just having a bad day? Are they depressed? What sort of needs are they going to have? And that's when you encourage them to seek out their other resources. If they don't do it, or if they get defensive, you may have to come back at it several times. Medscape and several other sources recommend the prospect of maybe starting an online conversation with other doctors, you know, putting out a burnout inventory, for example, to several physicians, including the doctor in question, to kind of get a conversation going to promote, you know, release to see if you can get people to communicate. If all else fails and you're really worried, that's when you have to take your concerns to the supervising physician or to a physician's health board or a committee on physician's health because it would be better to report than to let someone spiral, especially at 300 to 400 physicians per year being lost. What, and so the North Carolina Physicians Health Program is one of the coolest things there is. It's designed to help physicians in particular who may have substance abuse, but other medical situations, and also preserve their career, preserve their license, preserve their working as a physician. If a physician is worried, can they uh, take advantage of that resource without having to be referred? Of course, they can call up PHP themselves. PHP is actually quite happy to get self-referrals because it implies a degree of insight, knowing that you've got a problem and knowing you've got a concern and they would be more than happy to take you in, do an assessment, and find out what your needs are, and then tailor a plan to those needs so that we can keep you practicing, and even more importantly, keep you healthy. What would be a circumstance where you would have to maybe intervene in a more emergency sense, and how would you go about doing that? You've got a colleague that you're worried is actively suicidal. What would you do in that circumstance? If I've got a colleague who I think is actively suicidal, the first thing that I would do is A, come to that said colleague again. There is no harm in approaching and going, what are you thinking and how are you thinking? It has been a fundamental tenet of psychiatry that asking about suicide does not promote suicide. So if I'm thinking you're, you're having thoughts of hurting yourself, I'm going to ask you, have you gotten to that place? And then if you have gotten to that place, then my next call is going to be to the nearest committee on physician health, whatever resource that institution has available. And if I don't know it, then I'm reaching out to the supervisor. Because at this point, we've got bigger issues, preservation of a professional identity, for example.
So there are things that help in these circumstances like antidepressants and psychotherapy. Mm -hmm. A lot of us feel like there's maybe a stigma with those things that makes me less of a person. Mm -hmm. You treat physicians, you sort of have an idea of physicians that are either on antidepressants or undergoing psychotherapy. Talk about the stigma and how do we destigmatize something that's really important. What I first do when I've got a physician that's in front of me is I ask how they got there because I want to make sure to the best of my ability I preserve their privacy. I tell every supervisor that I know of, you should know of an internal physician that can manage mental health issues and an external physician that can manage mental health issues because the key is to get the provider to go. And if they would feel more comfortable seeing a private doc outside of the institution so that their information will be private, go in that direction. But if I've got them in front of me, the first thing that I do is I acknowledge the stigma. It is real, and we have to get around it. But then I turn around and I normalize the treatment plan. So I will go to someone and say, for example, if a diabetic requires insulin, you would not shame them for putting the needle in. They need the insulin. It is a medical problem, and it requires treatment. You would not tell someone not to get chemotherapy because they might not lose their hair, for example. That would never enter our minds. So why would we tell someone not to take an antidepressant or a mood stabilizer if they're suffering from a medical problem serious enough to make them want to hurt themselves? And psychotherapy, just as important. Psychotherapy is just as important. It has been shown conclusively that psychotherapy can be equivocal to meds, especially therapies like CBT or interpersonal psychotherapy. It can help you manage conflicts. It can help you get back your wellness. CBT focuses on the six aspects of wellness I mentioned in a previous podcast, such that you can target those weak areas that you might not be fulfilling, like your spiritual health, for example, or your emotional health, so you can have an overall composite of wellness. Dr. Lang, thank you so much. We, uh, we had a somber topic today, substance abuse and suicide among healthcare professionals, but I think you really... Uh, helped us deepen our understanding and get to a place where we need to be because we've all got to be there for each other. I agree completely. Great. Thank you so much, and we look forward to uh, talking to you again. Thank you. Bye.